church. Go ahead, if you've got your Bibles, open up to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Well, July uh, 23rd is going to be when the opening ceremonies of the Tokyo Olympics are happening. Um, Who here is excited about the Olympics? Do we have people that like to watch the Olympics? Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, just just for my own uh, interest, anyone prefer the Winter Olympics? Do we have Winter Olympics people? All right. All right, we've got some Winter Olympics people. Uh, you know, you've got curling, and you've got that one where you're, you're snow skiing and shooting rifles. I think that's the best combo. Um, but yeah, Summer, summer Olympics are, are coming up, okay? And I was, I was reading a story the other day about the 1968 Olympics that were held in Mexico City, and the story was about a runner who finished last in the marathon that year. His name was John Stephen Aquari, and he was from Tanzania, and he was the last person to finish the race. Now, the, the first finisher had finished over an hour before him. And, and the first place finisher, I mean, he crossed the finish line looking strong, looking healthy, looking victorious, right? However, Akwari, the last place finisher, did not finish that way. He did not look so great when he finished. Uh, in fact, his leg was bandaged. He was bleeding. He had obvious injuries and wounds, and he was limping across the finish line. You see, early in the race, he had had a bad fall. He had had a bad fall. He'd had a bad injury. You know, he had gotten bandaged up to the best he could, and he limped and struggled and bled for 26 miles to finish the race. And as he entered the stadium, I mean, the crowd starts going, you know, wild. They're applauding him. They're encouraging him towards the finish line. And after he crosses the finish line, someone comes up to him and finally asks, why, like, why didn't you just give up? Why didn't you quit? You are badly injured. It would have been acceptable to just call it and just quit. Why didn't you give up? And he said, and I quote, My country did not send me to start this race. My country sent me to finish. (laughs) And church, the, the same is true of us. You see, we have been called to run a race of faith. And we have been commissioned and sent by King Jesus to not just start this race, but to finish this race. Now, we might, we might finish with some injuries. We might finish uh, bleeding a bit. We might limp across the finish line. But we have been called to finish this race of faith. And God, we see in this passage, he calls us to run. He calls us to run. Now, now God calling us to run is him calling us to exert and to spend all of our, li- all of our life's energy pressing forward towards Christ at the finish line. That's what this means when when our author is kind of using this imagery of calling us to run the race that is set before us, all right? When God calls us to run, he is calling us to spend all our life's energy pressing forward towards Christ at the finish line. That's our call this morning, church. You see, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, if you have answered that call to come and follow him, God's word is going to show us here that you have a race to run. You now have a race that has been set before you. And it's a race that is to be run by faith. And it's a race to run that is not a sprint. It is much more like a marathon. 
And like any long distance race, there's going to be times of pain. There's going to be times of agony. There will be times when we fall and get injured and get bloody. But the call of God is not simply a call to come and start the race. The call of God is not to simply come and sprint for a little while and then give up when things get hard and painful. The call is to come and finish the race of faith. To spend all of our life's energy pressing forward towards Christ at the finish line. Now, leading up to this, these few verses we're going to cover this morning, leading up to this, we've seen that at the end of Hebrews chapter 10, that our author has exhorted the original audience, telling them that they have need of endurance, right? That, that the life of faith is not a sprint, that the life of faith is not a sprint, it's a marathon, right? And that hard times were headed their way, and they're going to have need to persevere and to endure. We then walked through Hebrews chapter 11, and we saw example after example of what a faith that perseveres looks like in the lives of real people, of some of the Old Testament saints. And now verse 1 of chapter 12, it starts out with the word, therefore. Therefore. In light of these examples of faith, he exhorts them and us to run with endurance the race that is set before us. To run with endurance the race that is set before us. And so this morning, what we're going to see, in order for us to run with endurance the race that is set before us, we first must remember that we are not running alone. We second must remove the extra weight that we are running with. And third, we must recognize who the champion of the race really is, all right? I gave you three R's to help you remember and to follow along with me, all right? I won't always do that, so don't get spoiled. Uh, but first, we are to remember we are not running alone, to remove the extra weight we are running with, and then we must recognize who the champion of the race really is. So let's pray, and we will, we will jump in. Father God, we do thank you for your gracious gift of your word that we have in front of us this morning. What a blessing it is to be able to open it up and to hear from you. And so, Lord, we do ask that your word would be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path this morning. Spirit, we ask that you would illuminate your truth and that you would give light to our eyes so that we too might have the endurance to run the race that is set before us. Father, we do thank you for this country that in your providence you have determined for us to live in. We thank you for the freedoms that we have living in this nation. We thank you for all that has been done by those before us to obtain that freedom. And Lord, we do ask that the people of our nation would humble themselves before you. That we would seek you and turn from evil ways. Father, we ask that your church would flourish in this land. That we would be awakened to run after you. That your church would be a city on a hill shining brighter and brighter as the day of your return draws near. We ask that you would give wisdom to the leaders of our civil government. We ask that you'd give wisdom to the leaders of our churches. We ask you'd give wisdom to the leaders of our families. 
and that decisions would be made that would lead to peace and flourishing. Lord, you told your people living as exiles in Babylon to seek the welfare of the place you had sent them to live in and to pray to you on its behalf. And so we lift up our people and our leaders to you and we ask for your help this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded... By so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. All right, so the scene is set, okay? Sometimes a preacher has to like try to get creative and think of an illustration to connect this to you. Here, God's word just gives it to us, okay? All right, this is, this is a divine illustration. The scene is set. We have entered this stadium of an endurance race. The crowd is full of these Old Testament saints and really all the saints that have gone before us and have finished the life of faith. And now this great multitude that surrounds us, uh, think, I mean, kind of just envision this great multitude that surrounds us, all right? Now, now, don't think of them so much as spectators of us, all right? That's, that's not what this illustration is trying to teach us here, all right? It's not teaching us that these are spectators of us, not trying to say that they're somehow in heaven kind of watching us and cheering us on, not at all. This, this is a multitude of witnesses, not spectators, Okay, so in the, if the stadium is filled with this multitude of people, they are filled with this multitude of people who are not necessarily spectators of us, but they are witnesses for us. Meaning that all these people in Hebrews chapter 11 and all the believers that are now in heaven with Jesus, they are not watching us from heaven, but they are witnesses for us. These people have finished the race of faith. They have endured to the end. And as we see that there has been this great multitude of people who have gone before us in this race, it brings us great encouragement that if by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, they have finished the race, we can as well. They are witnesses for us. This great multitude of people who have lived and run the race of faith before us. Now, you remember some of these people that we went through and looked at examples in Hebrews chapter 11. All right, yes, they, they demonstrated great faith, but they, they also had great failings. They, they were not perfect and elite marathon runners. These were people who had fallen several times. They, they were simply, some were just simply a bloody mess limping across the finish line. But if God's power could work in their weakness like we saw last week, then God's power can work in our weakness as well to get us across the finish line. And so the original recipients you know, of this, they're about to go through some persecution and hardships. They're about to experience uh, persecution from the Jews, persecution from Rome. They're about to feel isolated and alone. And our author is trying to tell them that this great cloud of witnesses is a reminder to them that they are not the first ones to run this race and that they are not running alone. And the same is true for us, church. Therefore, let us run 
And let us remember that we are not the first ones to run this race of faith, and we are not running alone. There, have been, there has been a great multitude of people who have run the race before us. There will likely be a great multitude of people who will run the race after us. And there are currently a great multitude of people, more than there's ever been on the planet Earth at one time, who are now running the race with us right now. God's Word says we're not the first ones to run this race. And we're not running alone. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. One of the lies that we can tell ourselves, or that sometimes the enemy comes against us with, is the lie that we are all alone. And sometimes even churches can tell themselves this too. Like, it's just, it's just us. We're the only ones that, that get it. We're the only ones that have been living this life of faith. And that's just simply not true. But we, we tell ourselves this even as individuals, right? Like, we, we get discouraged in our running when we feel like we start getting these thoughts of, like, no one else knows what we're going through. No one else understands what we've been through and the pain we've, we've gone through and the questions and the doubts we have with our faith and, and the, the troubling times we've had. Like, no one gets it. It's just us. And therefore, we isolate ourselves from the community of faith. We get this mentality that we're just running alone. And listen, church, it is much more difficult to run with endurance if you think you are out on a country road running by yourself versus you are in a great stadium with a cloud of witnesses running alongside one another. Church, you are not alone. We are not running this race of faith alone. We are not the first ones to run this race. We must remember that we are not running alone. And this is one, this is just one of some of the many reasons why we like to on occasion recite some of the creeds together. So far, I mean, we've recited on occasion the Apostles' Creed. At some point this year, we're going to recite together the Nicene Creed. And one of the reasons that we like to do that is, yes, it's a, it's a helpful way to summarize some biblical truth and to speak it together, confess it together. But what's also so encouraging about some of the confessions and catechisms and creeds is that it reminds us that we are not the first ones to run this race. Don't, don't let the non-denominational part of our church name think that this is like something unique or novel, Okay. We are in a long line of believers, of people who lived by faith and ran this race of faith. And so the confessions and some of the catechisms and creeds can be helpful in tying us into the community of faith throughout time and space. For example, I'd say the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith is one I typically have on hand to, to kind of help be a resource for me. Some of us has, have used the New City Catechism, which is uh, kind of a refreshed update of a combination of the Westminster and Heidelberg and Baptist Catechisms. Now, anytime we're talking about catechisms, creeds, confessions, we don't put those on the same level as Scripture, Okay. But we do see them as helpful tools in our study of God's Word, a reminder to us that we are not the first ones to hold English Bibles in our hands. We are not the first ones to come to some of these difficult doctrines and wrestle through them. 
And so I think a lot of these confessions and catechisms and creeds are, are, give us such a better starting point than you with your Bible alone in a prayer closet coming up with your own ideas. And it's always interesting to me when some Protestants who, in their, in their distaste for church authority, uh, church authority, end up turning themselves into the Pope. Like, like, like whatever you come up with and you decide, that is what's going to be true of a certain doctrine or passage, instead of humbly recognizing that we are not the first people to run the race of faith. We are not the first people to hold God's word in our hands. We are not the first people to wrestle through some of these difficult doctrines. And so don't make yourself the Pope. You've maybe never had someone tell you that before. <laughs> Maybe you have. I don't know. If you have, I want to hear who told you that. All right? But don't make yourself the Pope. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six. it says, Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Now, side, side note, I fully recognize that the church throughout history <laughs> has not always gotten it right. And there have needed to be councils and reformations and revivals to help course correct. But the whole point of what I'm bringing this up is that we are to do this together in the community of faith, not in isolation. One person with a Bible and their own ideas never really works out well because we're not called to run this race alone. We're called to wrestle with these things and study these things and press into these things together in a community of faith. And so therefore, don't isolate yourself. You can't run to the finish line alone. I just don't think you can do it. We're not called to run alone. We're called to run with one another. We're called to run in a long line of people that have been running this race. And therefore, do not isolate yourself from your church family. Don't isolate yourself from your pastors. That's probably one of the biggest trends we've seen amongst Christians in America in the last 20 years is people no longer want to be pastored. They want podcast pastors, but they don't want a local pastor who's going to like press on some things. And we've wrongly blended American individualism versus, with, with biblical Christianity. And this maybe isn't the best week to bring that up, but <laughs> we're, we're already there. Okay. My, my point, my point is, I don't want to, I don't want to rant, okay? My point is, don't isolate yourself from the people of God who have gone before you and have finished the race. I was once encouraged by, uh, maybe it was Pastor Nate from Life Point. you guys know him. Uh, I was encouraged that for every one new book I read by someone who is living, like a, a recent new book, for every one book of those I read, I needed to read three books from some old dead saints, who finished the race well. And what, what, what wise advice that is. You see, we, we sometimes have what C.S. Lewis called uh, a chronological snobbery, where we always just think the newest is the best thing versus the old. And sadly, uh, if that was all we did was just read kind of the newest books, I think we would be misled in some areas. As I can look even at my own bookshelf, and I'm starting to have a growing section of authors and pastors who did not finish the race of faith. 
And they might still have some good things we can learn. I'm not saying all need to be discarded when someone does not finish the race of faith, but, but we certainly need to take it with a grain of salt that, hey, these were not people who finished the race. The ones that are already in glory, hey, we know how they finished. And let's learn from them. So remember, church, that we are not running alone. Remember, we are not running alone. So don't try to run alone. Look back at Hebrews chapter 12. As we even flip through, maybe just you can even flip through there a little bit of Hebrews 11. Right? As you see some of those names. As you think back through some of the believers and people of faith throughout the Old and New Testament. As you think back through church history and those people who have finished the race we are reminded that we are not running alone, and it is a great encouragement to us. On this past uh, Memorial Day, Franklin had the Memorial Day mile. And uh, before we even started the race, there were already people finishing. Now, that was actually an encouragement, right? To see people finish because, well, for a few reasons. Because uh, one, it tells you that the, the, the course actually leads to somewhere, <laughs> It's not just going to like lead into a pond or out to Shelbyville or somewhere. Like it's actually going to lead to where we want to go. We've seen people finish and it's a great encouragement to us. It's also an encouragement to see people finish and know that, hey, if the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit has, has sustained and given them the strength to finish, then God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit is strong enough to get me to the finish as well. Remember, you are not running alone. All right? But there's something we must also do while we are running. And that's what I want you to see back in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. There's something we must do while we are running. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Church, if we are to run with endurance the race that has been set before us, we must remove and lay aside every weight and everything that is keeping us from running the race that is set before us. We're to lay aside every weight. We're to lay aside every sin. All right, And weight, weights and sins here are referring to two different things, two different categories of things that are going to keep us from running hard after Christ. So let's start with sin, because that might be the more obvious one that I think we're all like in agreement. We should, uh, that's going to hinder us, all right? Um, sin is anything that when, when we turn from the ways of God with either our thoughts, attitudes, or actions— but what I want you to notice here is how sin is described, because it's really, he's really describing to us what sin does. He writes, it clings closely, or it entangles us. It clings to us, it entangles us. And there's a, there's a true story that's told about a thief who's running through a market, and he's hungry, so he decides to steal some food, and so he grabs a sausage, and he takes off running. Now, little does he know that the sausage is linked to like 15 feet of sausage. And so he takes off running with the, the long strand of sausages and he starts getting tangled up and it gets around his legs and the, cop, the cops end up finding him laying on the ground with sausages just wrapped up in sausages. 
I mean, you can imagine just the shame and kind of the humor of that, right? But church, that is a real-life illustration of Proverbs 5, verse 22, which says, The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. You see, when we grab for sin, we always get more than we bargained for. There's always strings attached. The bait looks nice, but there's always a hook in there that sticks to us and ensnares us and ties us up and entangles us, and it keeps us from running hard the race of faith that God has set before us. And so the question is, church, what sin is entangling you this morning? Is it anger? Is it unforgiveness? A root of bitterness starting to take root in your heart? Is it envy? Is it pride? Is it unthankfulness? Is it lust? Is it a love of money? Is it a love of gossip? Is it an unhealthy fear and anxiety in life? What sin is entangling you this morning? And we ask, Holy Spirit, you would show each of us. Show us what is wrapping us up and entangling us and keeping us from running hard. And church, when God reveals that to you, whether it be right now in this moment, whether it be when we have our time of prayer and worship and communion after this, whenever God would reveal that to you, confess it quickly. Get it. You know, go to Christ. Confess it to Him. Trust His atoning work and receive His forgiveness. Share that with a brother or sister that can help you battle that sin together as you go forward. We must lay aside, we must discard the sin that is entangling us. It's keeping us from running hard after Christ. And not only are we to lay aside every sin, but we're also to lay aside every weight that is slowing us down. And what's difficult about laying aside these weights is that many times these weights are good things. They're not always sin, the, the weights here. You see, there, there are many good things in our lives. But if they are keeping us from running the race that God has set before us, then we must lay them aside. You see, in the life of a Christian, we many times have to lay aside good things in order to run after great things. And this is, this is well known, uh, known among those who run or who race, right? I mean, if you're getting ready for a race, you have to get rid of everything that's going to weigh you down, right? You've got to get the lightest shoes or the track spikes you can find. You don't want big, bulky shoes running, right? You have to wear the least amount of clothing that your conviction in regards to modesty will allow you to, right? You have to discard all the, the baggy stuff, right? You have to get rid of the backpack, get rid of the fanny pack, which I'm told fanny packs are coming back, all right? My mom has always been ahead of her time. She's not here to defend herself. <laughs> all right, yeah. But church, we have, to, we have to get rid of these things that are weighing us down. Whatever it is, 
whatever it is that is keeping you from spending your life's full energy on glorifying God and enjoying him forever, like enjoying him forever, get rid of it. We're called to lay it aside. And we see this in uh, one example of this uh, kind of gives a good illustration from the army of Alexander the Great. They were, uh, they were advancing through Persia. They were conquering uh, everything in sight, victory after victory. But at one point, it appeared that his troops might get defeated. You see, what had happened to his army was that the soldiers had taken so much plunder from previous victories that they had become weighted down and they were losing their effectiveness in combat. You guys probably can't relate to that. But Alexander, upon seeing this, commanded all the spoils to be thrown into a heap and to be burned. And to the soldiers, you know, dragging their feet, they were doing it, they obeyed. Someone that, upon seeing this, wrote that after that, it was as if wings had been given to them. They walked lightly again. And church, what are the things that are weighing us down and causing us to not run hard and effectively to Christ? Now, I'm not suggesting that you should give up the responsibilities that God has given you, okay? If you are married, you have a responsibility to your spouse. If you have kids... You have a responsibility to your kids. We all have a responsibility to be hard workers, to be diligent workers. We have a responsibility to our local church. We have a responsibility to our neighbors. So I'm not talking about discarding every responsibility that we have, but I'm talking about what are the things that are wearing you down, weighing you down, exhausting you, either physically or mentally or emotionally, that are keeping you from running hard after glorifying God and enjoying Him and, 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 and as you partake in these responsibilities He's given you. What's keeping you from that? I mean, are you really expending all your energy and strength towards running after the Lord? Running after the Lord in your marriage. Running after the Lord in your parenting. Running after the Lord in your workplace. Running after the Lord in your neighborhood. What's keeping you from that? How have we lost sight of the main thing? Do an assessment this week of the things that are weighing you down in life. Right? Every, every now and then, we got to go through the house and we got to clear out the, the closets and the garage, right? In the same way, every now and then, a Christian must examine their life and see what is weighing them down from running after Christ. The Christian life should be one that is marked regularly by laying aside good things in order to run after great things. But some of you are weighed down this morning. Some of you are weighed down. Some of you, it's your, it's your unhealthy imagination that's weighing you down. Now, praise God for those of you with a good imagination, all right? But it can get unhealthy. And I'm not just talking about lust, all right? Although certainly lust is causing a great harm and a great slowing down of, of the church. It's weighing us down. But what about you who let your imagination 
go down paths of darkness, always thinking about the worst-case scenario. Now, this is, this is me, okay? So I worked for a lot of years in an ER, and working in an emergency room, you're kind of trained to think, what's the worst-case scenario here, right? And let's make sure that doesn't happen, and then we'll figure it out from there. And there's certainly wisdom in, in coming upon situations and thinking through what could be some possible outcomes of it. But what I'm talking about, and I think those of you who, who do this, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how we fatigue ourselves mentally and emotionally by playing out scenarios that have not happened and probably never will happen. And by doing so, we are mentally and emotionally weighed down by going down routes that God has not set before us to the neglect of giving our life's full energy to the race he has set before us. And so we do this with our minds. We become fatigued. We become weighed down. We feel heavy. We no longer have the energy to to do what God has called us to do, to run with our full energy, the race that he has set before us. Sometimes this will lead to then emotions. And, and again, praise God for emotions. But I'd say the two, two of the biggest emotions that I see weighing us down as a people are probably anger and anxiety. They're just weighing us down. They're weighing us down. They're slowing us down. They're keeping us from running unhindered and with full energy and strength to Christ. What's weighing you down, church? Is it the news? Is it the need to always be in the know, like every 15 minutes? Is it, the, is it, is it social media? I, I, I don't know. Is it, is it being controlled by food or drink? It, 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 what is weighing you down? I think most of us, I won't keep probing, because I think most of us know what is weighing us down. We just... We just like it that it weighs us down. <laughs> so I think you know what's weighing you down, and the call from God's word is for you to lay it aside this morning, to cast it aside, to take a step of faith and trust that sometimes laying aside good things have to be done in order to run after great things. And church, in order for us to run the race that has been set before us, we must remember that we do not run it alone. And we must remove the extra weight that we are running with and the sin that is entangling us. And then finally, we must recognize who the champion of the race really is. Because don't be deceived as we've kind of painted this picture of running this race in a great stadium. Don't be deceived to think that all the crowd is looking at you. I mean, I'll be honest, that's what I naturally think of, right? If I, someone told me, hey, envision you're running a race in a great stadium, I, I would naturally think, okay, big stadium, big race, surrounded by a big multitude of people, I'm going to assume they're looking at me. <laughs> but you see this cloud of witnesses. They are not looking at you. They are looking at him. The point of chapter 11 was not for us to look at them and for them to look at us. The point was for us to see who these witnesses were looking to and for us to look at him as well. So we look up to the crowd and see they're not looking at us. They're looking to the champion at the finish line. 
Look back at Hebrews 12, verse 1. We'll start over here. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Verse 2, look to Jesus, means to fix our eyes on him. And in order to do that, we must turn our eyes away from all other things, including ourselves, in order to set them on him. You see, prideful, narcissistic people, which we can all be at times, but prideful, narcissistic people who want a little Jesus in their life, they assume that the stadium is full of people looking at them and that they are the champion of this race. And their eyes are set on themselves, and they think that the whole point of the race is them. And listen, in our sin, like we've all been there, that's our natural inclination. It's, but, but it's a miserable way to live, and it's not reality. It's delusional thinking. I mean, some of you have been trying to run, and you've just been looking at yourself. Or you've just been looking at your past, and your present, and your future, and you're trying to figure out why this race does not seem to be making sense to you. Why is it not centered on you? But then you look to the crowd, to the witnesses. You read your Bible, and hopefully at some point in your life, you look to Christ, and you see his glory. And you realize, oh, He's the champion of this race. He's the champion of this race. It, it, it's not ultimately about me. And it's when we look to Christ, when we recognize who the champion of the race really is, that is when all the pain that we feel in running and all the, the bloodiness, the blood and the, the messiness and the injuries and the hardships, that is when, when we see the champion Christ at the finish line, that is when we realize that, that, that the joy that is set before us is so much greater than any pain we feel running the race. And we see our champion who is Christ. And God's word says he is the founder of our faith meaning he is the pioneer. There's a lot of terms we could, we could put in there. Um, I like pioneer, but, but the founder of our faith means that he is the author. He's the trailblazer. He is the one who did the work of clearing the path and making the way to the finish line. He is same word that we saw back in Hebrews 2.10, uh, which says that he is the captain of our faith. And it's not so much the captain of a ship, but a military captain, all right? He's not just barking orders from the back lines. No, he took the lead, and he charged the front lines, and he charged and stormed the enemy's castle, and he has emboldened his troops to follow after him. He led the way. He blazed the trail. He ran the perfect race of faith, and he's set for us an example to follow. 
He's our champion, the pioneer of our faith. But not only is he the pioneer of our faith, he's also the perfecter of our faith, meaning he's the finisher. He's the completer. Christ has done all things necessary to secure our salvation and to ensure that his people finish the race. He will see his work to the end. He who began a good work in you will complete it. And therefore, fellow runners, you guys didn't know, some of you didn't know you were runners. You are, okay? Your weariness is not a sign of impending doom. Your weariness is a symptom of losing sight of Christ, your champion, the pioneer and perfecter of your faith. Now, I'm speaking that to the true runners of faith in the room. And there might be some of you who are not true runners. You have never put your faith in Christ. You don't love him. You're not following him. You may be like hanging out with runners because they're just kind of being around them feels kind of good and like it's healthy and they're nice. But some of you have no idea what it means to run hard after Christ. Like you like the, you like the running lingo, but you're not actually going out from here and running. And listen, if that's you this morning, I am, we are so, I'm so glad that you're here. This is the best place for you to be. Keep hanging out with the runners. But I pray that God would open up your eyes to see the glory of Christ and that you too would start running after him. Now, for those of you that have, you've, you've seen and you've trusted in Christ, you've run hard after him before, but maybe you've gotten knocked down. Maybe you've tripped and stumbled. Maybe you've gotten an injury. Maybe you've grown a bit weary. Listen, that doesn't mean that you're doomed not to finish, but it does mean that you've lost sight of him. And he calls you to get up. Let us run. In a race, you can tell when someone's struggling by where they're looking. I mean, just, just watch like the home stretch of a race, right? And maybe not, maybe not Olympics and professional athletes, but go to like your local middle school and watch the, the, the home stretch, all right? The kids that are struggling are, are looking like this. Like they're just like, they're looking who's coming behind them, right? They're looking all around them. They're seeing the people passing them. They're looking down at their feet, Right? Some of you, when you've struggled at the end of a race, you're looking for like the medical tent, you know, like where? where where's the medical personnel when I finish this? Those that finish the race, that run strong to the end, their eyes are fixed on Christ and nowhere else. If you are weary if you feel like you've stumbled and fallen down, listen, get up, let us run, let us look to Christ. He is the champion of this race. You see, church, the wisdom of the world tells you that when you are weary, you need to look at yourself more. But, 
That's what the wisdom of the world says. It says, when you are weary, look at yourself more, right? Like have a me day, you know, care more, like really get more introspective and be self-aware and make sure you're taking care of yourself more. The wisdom of God says, no, when you are weary, look to Christ. Consider him. Consider his life, death, resurrection, and exaltation. Consider the champion of the race. I mean, I, I, this pla- practically plays out for me. We try to have a Sabbath day of rest, a rest where we don't schedule much, uh, where the computer is closed and the phone is off. And I, I tell you, those days when I start to get really s- selfish and just wanting to think about myself, those are exhausting days. <laughs> I don't feel rested and refreshed after those days. But a day where I'm intentionally really what the Sabbath was supposed to be, intentionally looking to him, looking to Christ, and enjoying the rest and refreshment that he provides. That is what will sustain us to the end. That is what the weary soul needs. You don't need to look at yourself more. You need to look at Christ. You've lost sight of him. And we look to our champion when we feel weary and we consider both his, conden- his, his condescension and his exaltation. And by that, we, we mean we believe Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, the eternal uh, uh, second person, you know, uh, son of God that humbled himself, right? That as the creed says that he was born of the Virgin Mary, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, he was crucified, died, and was buried. Consider those things. Consider that the cross of Christ was the greatest suffering experienced by anyone ever. Nothing you could experience can top that. Because not only was a Roman crucifixion, it was shaming to the individual, right? They'd be stripped of their clothes, they'd be mocked, they'd be whipped, they'd be spit on, they'd be degraded. There certainly was a huge amount of just physical pain that happened in a crucifixion. But not only that, Jesus willingly endured the wrath of God being poured out on him as a substitute for you. But Hebrews 12 says that Jesus despised the shame. Meaning that Jesus treated the shame and suffering he experienced as insignificant and of little consequence compared to the joy that was set before him. Now, what was the joy set before him? The joy that was set before him was the joy of completing the Father's will, of being exalted to the throne, and accomplishing salvation for his people. You see, yes, we believe that Jesus came to earth, that he condescended, he humbled himself, suffered on earth. A lot of people like to believe that, right? That's that's comfortable for them to think of Jesus as kind of the, the poor, humble wise teacher. And we believe that. But we also believe that after his resurrection, he ascended to heaven. He was exalted to the throne. That on the third day, he rose again. He ascended to heaven, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. And he now sends to us the Holy Spirit, and he, which applies to us what he has accomplished for us. He is exalted now. He is Lord. He is King of kings. He is the champion. We are not. It's not about us. The race is not about us. And we will be miserable as long as we run with it being about us. 
We will grow weary. We will grow faint-hearted if our eyes are not fixed on the champion, which is Christ, whether you acknowledge it or not. And so when we are weary, consider him. Consider his exaltation. Consider what he is doing right now as our great high priest. I'll close uh, with this. I'd invite the worship team. You guys can come on back up. In, uh, in 1981, there was a guy named Bill Broadhurst who was running a 10,000-meter race in Nebraska. Now, 10 years before this race, Bill had had a brain aneurysm that left him uh, paralyzed on his left side. All right? And so every step that he ran was sort of like he had to swing his leg forward, you know? Nothing, nothing smooth about it. He kind of had to pivot on his right, swing the left part of his body forward, and take another step by step like that. Some of the runners in this race, they finished at about a half an hour. Uh, it, took, it took Bill about two hours more than that. He finished at about two hours and 30 minutes. And as he crossed the finish line, the first place finisher approached him and took his first place medal and put it around his neck. Now, Bill's race wasn't the prettiest, I think we could all say. He limped through it, but by finishing, he received the glory of the champion of the race. He received the prize that the champion had obtained. And church, the same is true for you and me. Our champion's victory will be our victory as well. God's word says that he is bringing many sons and daughters to glory. We might come limping, we might stumble and fall, but if our eyes are fixed on Christ, we will finish, and his victory will be our victory. Therefore, let us run. Let us run. Let us remember that we are not running alone. Let us remove every weight that is weighing us down. And let us recognize who the champion of the race really is. Let's pray.